You are neither dead nor dying. What is your purpose here? Jack Sparrow sent me to settle his debt. What is your purpose here? Jack Sparrow sent me to settle his debt. Camden? Pretty good. Excellent. Yes. Yes. It's been a very short time. Such since, a short time. Uh, we last recorded. Absolutely. Seamless, uh, Seamless. I'm sure, to you. <laughs> yeah. Viewers. Listeners. Listeners. They're not viewers. It's no. a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to you, it will seem like um, we just recorded and watched uh, the first Pirates movie. Yes. And immediately moved on to what we're doing now. We're making some headway. And hopefully it will. Because that's definitely what happened. Yeah, totally. We didn't. There were no gaps. No gaps. No. Yeah. So anyway, as as we say, we have obviously just watched the second installment of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise. We would like to, uh, what's the word? Enforce, make clear. Yes. We will not necessarily be um, doing all the Pirates of the Caribbean movies yeah. right away. Because <laughs> um, to be fair, guys, we just never know when that franchise is going to end. No. But also, we might just want to break it up it seems like a good approach with this pirate themed podcast to start with the first three of these since we have done the first one yeah but uh who knows what might happen yeah after that. we might just get wild and crazy after that yes. you don't know anyway yeah sorry this is a really poor introduction to say welcome back to pirate parlay second episode dead man's chest dead man's chest that's Came what out. it's called it is Came out in two thousand six. Two thousand six. That's right. The glorious time. It was wanna... probably a summer movie. Oh, it was a summer movie. Yes. Yes, sir. I want to say that the third one was also a summer movie. I don't remember. <laughs> well, I know that it came out in two thousand seven. It did. It, it came was, out a year uh, after. Know, a double movie event, which was yeah. quite common at the time. Yes, this is one of those fun ones where the first one was made, and people were like, "This is great. You get a sequel." You get two, and they're like, "Awesome, we'll shoot it back to back." Like so the uh, like the Matrix, exactly so relevant like Matrix. to our previous experience here. Mm-hmm. Um, in. And similarly received. Yeah. <laughs> by the public. Yeah, that's because um, accurate. Well, there are benefits to making two sequels at once and downsides. Yes, I actually think for for this particular case, um, it was mostly benefits. Like the the flaws of the movies do not have much to do with the fact. That, that they, they made them at the same time. That actually worked out pretty well for them, I think. I mean, did it, though? Because there were a lot of hurricanes. Well, I don't know if we can blame the hurricanes uh, I'm for the hurricanes. any sort of uh, troubled results in the uh, actual movie. Yeah, I think they got around it, but it was yeah. a lot. Well, I mean, they, they did they, have they three years it. to do like, a follow-up from the first one, which came out in 2003. Yes. So they had some time. I mean, they were probably mostly done filming both, I imagine, by the time this one came out. Yeah, I think they had to do some pickups, though, because they, they had to have, you know, evacuate for storms and stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. But that's not the point, is it? No, no. we're not here today to talk about the third movie. Mm-mm. Talk about the second. Okay. Stay tuned for the third. But yes, let's dive right in. Okay, so I'm going to ask you our standard question. Yes. Where were you when you were first aware of this movie, saw this movie, 
what your, your do you remember your initial reaction to this movie? I have a great answer. Give it all. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, okay. No, no, I I've seen it a lot, and I remember watching it several times, like with the DVD. Mm. I don't actually remember uh, my theatrical experience for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm sure it was good because I did like it, and I was excited for it beforehand. Mm-hmm. I just I don't know why I can't remember that, but. Uh, that was uh, mainly my reaction, which I do know that I liked it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the cliffhanger, of course, I, d- I remember. Yes. Uh, very surprising. I remember people really hated the cliffhanger at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. By the time the third one came out, I was not as interested. I did <gasps> see it. A year apart, and you just dropped off. No, as I a do this fan. a lot. I, I d- or I did this a lot. I went to see it, uh, I believe, in the theater, and I saw it once or twice afterwards. But there's a big difference. Um, the first two Pirates movies I've seen uh, many times, and mm-hmm. the third one I think I've only seen um, maybe three or four times. Really? We'll be watching it soon, and yeah, I probably won't remember lots of little bits about it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why exactly that is. Uh, I don't know if it's just that uh, this movie has a Kraken in it, mm, and there it is. the third movie doesn't. There it is. Well, it does. It's just not alive. <laughs> yes. Spoilers. <laughs> it's horrible. But, um... Yeah, I I always liked it a lot, which there are reasons we can get into that. It's not a, it's not a perfect movie. Um, no. I think that uh, pretty much everyone agrees that the first Pirates movie is the best one. It's first Pirates, best Pirates. Not really a competition yeah, there. Yeah, it's not a hot take there for the most people. discussion is more about um, do you think the sequels are bad or not, or how bad you think they are. Yeah, uh, that's a great bar to set it's, yeah, any, well, it's, any it's franchise. Which one is better? It's just... Are these How worse? low did they sink? <laughs> yes. That's um, a fair value system. I think I speak for a lot of people as well when I say that uh, I thought they had problems, but there have been two more Pirates movies yes. following, and... They well, look really good in comparison. Yes, they have shown a light on some of the positive things yes. about the second and third movies. This is true. So The franchise wasn't tired yet. Yes. Yeah. Your experience was different than mine. Oh my I gosh! Know this. All right, so like last time, guys, gather around. This is some some throwbacks here. Uh, if it wasn't obvious, the first Pirates movie was like the end-all, be-all, life-changing experience for me as a child, and so you can imagine how delighted I was going to be that we were going to get more of them. So I waited patiently for three years, got real excited, went to a midnight showing of this baby. And let me just say, right here, right now, the theater that I went to, I love very dearly, but it is a local theater that uh, needed some, let's say, system updates. One of them mainly being sound. This movie theater was notorious for not having very good sound. It was also notorious for, you know, kind of breaking down and splitting screens and weird colorization things happening for other films. It was, you know, not a boring movie experience. But, unfortunately, as a result of this hyped-up midnight crowd, you think, you know, you go to midnight movies and you're like, yeah, people cheer, you're not going to catch every line, you get excited. This was not the case. We were very quiet, and the reason is, (laughs) we could not understand what anybody was saying in this movie. So, the joy of seeing this movie was slightly diminished. (laughs) Though I must say, it really added to the tension of when they finally opened the titular dead man's chest, (laughs) because... Um, we literally didn't know what was in the chest the entire time. So most people, if they watch this movie for the first time in theaters, they're told in Tia Dama's hut, 
what exactly is in the chest. And then when, you know, the characters actually dig up the chest and, like, press their ears to it, and then they hear a thump-thump, the famous, infamous thump-thump. They'll be like, oh my god, it's real, it exists. And then they open it up and you get the heart, right? So take out Tia Dama, take out any reference to a heart going thump-thump in a chest. We did not know what was coming because we could not hear it. And I would say that was probably the general reaction for the audience, aside from my mother going, oh my god, when Barbosa came down the stairs and made everybody laugh in the audience. Uh, yeah, I would say that we did. We had no idea what was going on because we could not hear anything. So I, my reaction was confusion and like disappointment because I was like oddly didn't like it. And that's a weird thing to feel as a small child who's become suddenly very invested in a franchise and realize that every installment is not going to be as amazing as the previous one. So it was a bit of a hard blow. A bit of a hard blow for me. Disappointing. But, yeah. I know you had a better experience with the third movie. I did. Well, so we'll get to that one. Well, our situations are somewhat reversed Yes. in that respect. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, that has colored my view of the second one. Because, like you said, our reverse uh, experiences with it. I've seen the third one a whole lot more than I've seen the second one. Because I did not like the second one that much when it came out. But that is also because I could not follow the storyline because the sound was so terrible. I must say, the background, like, I, I don't know what was with the mix or what it was, but the background noise was really great. That's really nice. stirring, nice music. That's which good. We will, we will touch upon the music. It's always nice one. when you can hear. It's nice when you can music. hear something. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great if it was dialogue and exposition, but you know, mm, sometimes no. we can't get what we want. So, yeah. Unfortunately, you did need that, uh, yes. because it is a little convoluted. That is kind of the runner throughout the, the following series, after one. Is Which they try and get a little bit more complicated, a little bit more yes. nu- nuanced with you know the betrayal and whose motivations are conflicting with whose. I will say, up front, yeah. this doesn't bother me. Uh, it's one of the main things a lot of people bring up about the second and third movies, uh, this convoluted plot, double backstabbing nonsense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't mind that stuff. Mm-hmm. I think there are other problems. Uh, uh, you know what a, a distinct problem is? What is Orlando's shirt is only off in this one and not the next one, and that is a key difference. I mean, it sounds like it's positive for this one. It is a positive. It's it's definitely weighing in its favor. For All sure. right. Yeah. Well, we'll t- keep that in the box. Yeah. Take that. Take that box. <laughs> Can't be contained. We're taking um, it out of the box. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about this a little or beforehand. The chest. <gasps> yes, in the chest. See what it's I did? A, it's a double meaning. It is. There's it's, a double meaning. There's a lot of layers. <laughs> yes. So I, we're going to give a, a super quick summary like we did oh, last time. Can I do it? Yeah, because you're much better at it than I am. I don't know if that's true. No, it is. Like a one-worded, not one word, a one-line summary. Yes, I did see, uh, listen to a podcast recently <gasps> where they like seem to enforce a rule of trying to summarize everything in like yeah. a minute. We should have followed that rule for our last <laughs> podcast. Is, is harder or easier depending on the subject. Yeah. But I will do my best to be succinct. Go for it. Uh, so, Dead Man's Chest, yeah. right? Mm. It would be better if I planned for this. Yeah. <laughs> what? So, at the beginning of the movie, when Elizabeth, our heroes, are supposed to get married, but it's not happening for some reason. Our breeding pair cannot breed. Because this short British man has shown up. Well, they're all British, aren't they? Uh, but he's an evil British man. Uh, and it's a distinction, guys. Yes. He not tells everybody them, uh, who has an accent is evil in this movie. You know, he's like he's blackmailing the two of them. He's like, uh, this wedding isn't happening because we're going to uh, basically you. arrest both of you and we might kill you if you want unless you uh, help us find Jack Sparrow because we need him because we're the evil East India Company. Boo. And he can help us find 
well, a dead man's chest, it turns out. Yes. Um, and, uh, well, this is going to be hard to do. This movie is convoluted. It is. That's happening this at the start the of the movie. This is why the first one is beautiful. There's cursed pirates. <laughs> That's it. What is happening with Jack is that he is, like, in mid-mission, and he is already looking for this thing mm-hmm. preemptively, yeah. this chest. And uh, there's a lot of convolution there. He's looking for a key to then look for the chest. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I'm going to skip over the part of the movie we'll talk about. Uh, after many uh, discursions, yeah. uh, Jack finds his way to the house of exposition that you mentioned. <laughs> uh, Tia T- T- house of exposition. House, uh, who, who tells them that the chest, yes, contains uh, the heart of Davy Jones, who it turns out is after Jack, who we also find out is after him because of a deal that was made previously that was not mentioned. So there's a lot of backstory happening here. Yes. And uh, basically, the rest of the movie mainly involves... People uh, Will and Elizabeth chest. have both sort of looked for Jack separately, and Jack himself is also running and trying to find this chest, because if he finds the chest in the heart, he can control Davy Jones mm-hmm. and stop him from, you know, the murder and the death... Yeah. And the taking of the Black Pearl and all that. Yes. So basically everyone's fighting over this, this chest, uh, which is what ends up being the climax. It's just it takes a lot of complicated stuff to get to it. Yeah, it is structurally weird how this, this movie is set up. We were talking about it on rewatch, and um, it's not clear what Jack is doing for about the first half of the movie if no. this is your first time watching the movie. So I hope that my explanation... Um, resembled that feeling yes of not making any sense yeah i think we nailed it (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's basically there's a fight over the chest everybody has like different motivations but the big driving force is whoever controls the chest controls the sea and jack is going to you know get the black spot and if he doesn't control davy jones he's going to lose his ship and potentially his life to the kraken Yes, because he promised the ship to yes. Davy Jones yes. like 10 years ago, apparently. It was 13, 13 years, years ago, yeah. ago, so he only sailed on it as captain for two. Obviously, we had that 10-year gap of, you know, some cursed pirates where he was trying to get it back, and it is now a year later. So it has officially been 13 years since they rose the Black Pearl from the depths. Mm-hmm. Which is also rather vaguely yes. alluded to. Because it doesn't matter that much for the movie. No. It's but something they're like, they try and set up in later installments, and it's just odd. This is this is a weird thing to try to parse out when you've already seen the movie. Yes. I was thinking about while we were watching it. Yeah. Because you, we already know what Jack is doing, but we were realizing that, yeah, it doesn't tell you what he's doing no. for a long time. No, th- I think Which is part of why it is confusing. Yes. Um, because when you meet him, yeah, he's actually... I don't know if this makes any sense, to be honest, but we're going to go with it. Uh, he has escaped from some place where he has received <laughs> what appears to be a drawing yes. of the key mm. he is looking for. I'm not sure how helpful that was. because I think it's one of those things where when you watch it, you think, oh, they're doing another cool intro with Jack, yeah. but you don't realize like he was on a mission. Though, to be fair, in his first intro in the first movie, he was also on a mission, but it made a lot more sense because you stayed with him from when he arrived yes. to Port Royal onward. Whereas so, this one, it's a lot of cross-cutting. For some reason, he is on a mission to find a picture of the key. Yes. Which he then shows to the crew. You don't know what the key is for. No. Uh, he gets the, tea, the key later from... Um, Will. 
from Will. Oh, he does? Yeah. Well, I wasn't paying attention this <laughs> Yeah, this is a convoluted movie. Where does Will get the key? So, here's where it gets fun, folks. We're just going to follow Jack's thread, just because it's a little bit easier, because he is uh, the main character Oof. of this story, which is another thing we will talk about, whether or not that is a good thing. Um, but basically, we've got Jack knowing that he owes a, ne- a debt to Davy Jones, because Davy Jones gave him his ship, right? And so he's thinking, oh shit, at least I would like to think he's thinking, oh shit, my 13 years are almost up, this dude is probably coming after me, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the key to the chest that will basically control Davy Jones. Yes. And if I can control Davy Jones, I can keep my ship. Which which is fairly followable, I'm just not sure why he has gone to the trouble to get a picture picture of of what he already knows exists. Yes, agreed. Apparently. So... He's like, this is my great game plan. And it, it does get interrupted by the arrival of, drumroll please, dun dun dun, Daddy Skarsgård. Oh yeah, that's right. Daddy Skarsgård. <laughs> Daddy Skarsgård, a.k.a. Stellan Skarsgård, who's playing Will's father. Which, again, we will also address. There's so many things to talk about. But long story short, right in the middle of Jack being like, I found a picture of the key, which is not helpful to anybody. Um... Well, it allows him to explain to his crew they need a key. Yes. So it's helpful for the audience and the crew. Yes. Instead of just saying that. But that's fine. Anyway, so Papa Papa Skarsgård shows up. And he's all like, here's the black spot. You owe a debt. It's official. It's been called in. And Johnny Depp is like, oh, fuck. A kraken's after me now. Because when I'm marked with the black spot, apparently that's how the kraken can find me. Although, apparently the Kraken is not very smart, because all you have to do to throw it off its trail is throw Jack's hat in the water and escape the water. So Jack is like, well, I can't go out on the sea. We're going to end up on land. Bad idea. It's a cannibal island, which we will also address. So what is Will doing? He's basically, Will is on the hunt to get to Jack and be like, hey, Jack, I need you to, like, turn yourself in because, like, Elizabeth and I helped you a year ago, and now we're going to get murdered for helping you. Like, we have an arrest warrant, and so if you could just, like, hand over the compass, and we could, like, barter with these guys, I'm sure they'll let us go. Yes, we didn't mention that they want the compass. Yeah. uh, Because they think it will lead them to the chest. Yes, which it does. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, Jack's like, hey, um, Will, why don't you go aboard Davy Jones and get the key for me? And for some reason, Will thinks this is a great idea. I don't know why. Jack is being wily. It doesn't quite make sense. I have now remembered. Yeah. So Will steals the key from Davy Jones after Liar's Dice, which is also confusing. But I will link you up to the rules so you can gamble away years and years of your life on a ship if you'd like. That is extra confusing. He's looking for the key. Yeah. After like an hour of the movie. Yeah. He hasn't got the key. Yeah. And he doesn't even end up getting the key. Yeah. Because Will gets the key. Yeah. It's great. (laughs) The more you break this down, you're like, what? Yeah, it's kind of weird. He doesn't really actively search for the key at all. No, because he doesn't want to deal with Jones, which is weird. So anyway, Will gets the key. He shows up. I don't know how... Oh, and then they fight over the key because they open up the chest. Oh, no, no, they open up a chest to the chest, and then the chest won't open, and then Will shows up looking dramatic, being like, what's up, man? I got the chest, and And also you screwed me over. Yes. Or the key, yeah. And then they fight over the key, and that's what the big wheel is for. Yeah, so the weird thing is that it all comes together in a way that results in the elements being in the right places at the right times. But getting there is a smidge tricky. Yes, I think that the strangest part, really, Mm -hmm. thinking about it, is is what Jack is intending to do with Will. 
I think because there's a lot of he seems stalling. to send him off in a way that makes it seem like he wants him to get killed. Yeah. But it seems like he actually wants him to take the key, but he does not say that. And then luckily he happens to arrive with, with the, key. the key. Yeah. Very confusing when you think about it. Mm-hmm. So. I think that's a big problem with this on a whole. But we're going to stay positive. What's we're weird is that when you watch it, it uh, it's fairly followable. It's just that when you try to explain it, it's It's very confusing. Yeah, which is not a good sign. Well, because when you're watching it, they, they like, find the chest. Yes. And you're like, oh, good, they found the chest. Well, they need the key. And then Will shows up out of the water, and it's like, I have the key. And you're you're like, like, great, of course, perfect timing. Yeah. But then in retrospect, you're thinking, well, if Jack didn't know Will was about to show up, how was he planning to open the chest? Was he going to go after Davy Jones and bargain? Well, I guess it's possible that his plan was to take the chest, of course. Yeah. He wasn't necessarily going to open it and remove it. Then why is he looking for the freaking key? (laughs) Or the picture of the key? It is confusing. It's confusing. Maybe he just sort of gave up on the key part. And he's like, I like the chest. And he thought he'd just take the chest, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The point is, it's very convoluted. And to be fair, the first movie is a little bit complicated, but it is very easy to follow all the plot threads. Because it's a very tight movie in sense of that, like, I don't think there's any extraneous scenes. One scene is pushing something forward to the next scene. Or if it's not the next scene, it's building up character and momentum. Yes. I cannot say the same for this movie. Well, I do think most of the scenes in the movie, um, except for a specific section of the movie, <laughs> do serve to do something or other, whether it's plot or, or character. Uh, it's just that the it, order they're in is not always the order that makes... The most, the most sense. logical sense. Yes. And um, getting to the back to the basic idea of uh, pirate movies mm. and what they're for. Yes. I think there's a fundamental reason for most of this, <laughs> which is that this set movie pieces. is yes, this movie is based around set pieces and spectacle, which of course is very present in the first movie as well. Yeah, I think if you looked at the Black Pearl and yeah. tried to boil it down, you would get like, well, near the beginning, you know, there's a big pirate invasion. Of course, at the end. Or I should say not at the end, like in the second act of the movie, there is a big um, ship-on-ship battle battle, Yeah, that is sort of the centerpiece. Ship-on-ship action. (laughs) Hello. Uh, And then there's lots of other little things in between, but those are some of the the really big set pieces that aren't just... Like, you know, Jack and Will fight in the um, the blacksmith, blacksmith, which is fun, Uh, but it's a bit different. It's not like an enormously expensive set piece. It's a How dare you? That that donkey got paid more (laughs) than anybody that day. I love yes. that donkey. He also makes a reappearance. Well, it's it's smaller, so it's yeah. it's less built around this stuff. It was also cheaper, of course. I mean, the Dead Man's Chest was at the time like one of or the most expensive movie. Yeah, I think ever. the the completion of the original trilogy, the the last two installments, were the, like one of the most expensive productions all yes. around. It's insane. So you need that money on screen, I guess. Yeah. And you do get the impression that they thought of some good ways to spend it, uh, and then built the plot around those ideas. Mm-hmm. So plot doesn't quite make sense. This movie, the second one, largely revolves around this big set piece at um, what we will call Cannibal Island. Yes. And then slows down again, and then features. But basically, it's the the end, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it slows down for a while, and saves most of the rest of the action for the last thirty minutes or so of the movie. Well, I mean, you do get the the crack in attacking a ship that Will's on. Yes. So that's an action set piece. Which is definitely a set piece. It's just not as long as, yeah. as the other ones. It and is pretty spectacular, though. Yes. But 
the main one that that really throws things is this the cannibal island thing yes because this not just this sequence but like once you've passed the intro and this sequence you're ending up about an hour into the movie which is when jack and crew all go to a tia dalma's place yes mysterious enigmatic tia dalma to um get information on the plot yes <laughs> exposition <laughs> hut here we go uh essentially he's like my compass isn't working why isn't it working yes that that could have happened at the beginning of the movie is what you realize watching it yes uh that's basically when the plot starts they they key you in <laughs> with <laughs> jack Fun. yes uh telling his crew they're gonna find this key but nothing happens there then because yes. he basically runs away for 45 minutes yes and then returns to actually actively doing the, the what plot. he was trying to do yeah some other stuff happens with other characters you know like during that sequence, Will gets linked back up with him. Mm-hmm. So it's not like no narrative work is happening here, but it's clear that that could have happened in just a random scene, like where Will meets up with them. Yes. And instead, it happens in a very lengthy sequence that is there for you know action and uh, spectacle. comedy and spectacle, yes. and is has its moments, but is clearly the worst part of the movie as a result. Yeah. Uh, for several reasons. It's it's weird. The, what I think is generally a positive about, well, all these, but mm-hmm. the second and third Pirates movies, there's always a little bits peppered in that are fun. Yes. It's not like any of these sequences just go on and forget to do anything a movie is supposed to be doing. They do remember to keep things going in some way or another, but it's still rather distracted. Like, you also get uh, reunited with you know, the comedy relief duo. Yes. Guys, who I can never remember the names of. Yes. Yeah. Glass Eye and Shorter Man. <laughs> uh, who are pretty, pretty great in this movie, yeah. I have to say. Like, most of their stuff is very good. Yeah. And they also meet up at um this island, which I think I was commenting on when mm-hmm. we watched it. It's pretty funny because much like other parts of the movie, it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. But you're much more inclined to go with it. Because they're funny, I think. And they're very likable. So Will shows up at this island where Jack and everyone is kidnapped by cannibals. <laughs> because someone told him, I think they went over there. And so he goes over there. Lotter. And uh, our other two guys, uh, Pintel and Rigetti, right? Yeah. They show up at the island uh, yeah. for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> no. Uh, because the script has introduced them into the plot. Yes. <laughs> but, like, something they inside just want, me. They just want yeah, the back, I, I'm inclined I mean, to just doesn't? to go with it. I think this is uh, just a strong, strong example, and maybe we can section this off, uh, of many, many moments in the sequel that feels like sequel-itis, where, as I like to call it, we're going to give you the greatest hits of all the thing you loved about the first one, and replay it in the second one, and it's like a weird little inside joke between the movie and the audience, mm-hmm. and so it is one of those things where, on a storytelling level, there could be like... Uh, probably a way to reintroduce as you say glass eye and shorty um back into the plot and have them there for a reason but since you know their introduction is them just rowing and being like haha we're gonna get the pearl it is just gives off very strong vibes of like we all know you guys like these guys from the first movie so we're just gonna bring them into the second movie yes and the same with a lot of other elements of saying pop it when they're fighting elizabeth briefly threatening her with their swords at the end the whole running joke about rum and losing the rum and why is it always gone and then when elizabeth shows up and he's like hide the rum 
there are just like a lot of elements that they're like we know what the audience liked what moments that they liked in the first one let's do a nod to that although they noticeably mostly appear in the beginning of the movie yeah uh, as if they're trying to reassure the audience uh it's all that stuff you loved yeah last time. you remember those eunuch jokes you couldn't get enough of they're yes. back cannibal island baby cannibals and eunuch jokes all at once it's a lot it's not for the best scene in this movie i think more broadly like we've said there are structural issues here yes on a smaller level you know the cannibals not super great not super great Uh, aside from the fact that it just like is a weird 20 minute detour for a weird spectacle of like bone cages and and jack is like a fruit kebab he goes it like a borderline cartoony like wily coyote with those sequences and like not to say that the bone cage isn't enjoyable it is it's just a weird detour and like we said when we were watching it or re-watching it for the podcast we're like this feels like they took a pirate movie trope of being like and now we're in the caribbean and we've headed to cannibal island yes. and we're gonna have an adventure and it's like they took that and then like just injected it with like 21st century steroids but it yeah. just doesn't play as well. It's an old-fashioned idea, and yes. it isn't really... It, it's mostly played straight. Um, it is which just results in Which just results in, like, you, you know, it, it doesn't feel specific enough to be, like, offensive to a specific group of people as much as just feeling like they wrote in generic cannibal tribe number three. Yeah, which is almost, I would script. argue, is worse. <laughs> Cause it's it's just a like, very uh, oblivious kind of uh, Yeah, they're like, it's just going to be I a think. fun action-adventure romp that you see all the time in pirate movies. And we're like, is it necessary to the plot? Not really. Because like you said, the plot doesn't kick in until like Tiadama Exposition Hut. Yes. But And they're like, oh, but it's a fun set piece. You're like, is it though? <laughs> I don't think that uh, the existence of the cannibals is the worst part in itself. Uh, if there is a worse part, it is clearly uh, Johnny Depp and all his lines of, uh, you know, just kind of talk in their language, which is a very, I am chief, very fire. Yes. old-fashioned sort of uh, joke, where the entire joke is just, uh, you know, they're gonna eat their him. language is silly, <laughs> Yes. and he's going to make fun of it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it doesn't come off great for them. It's kind of nice that this unfortunate material is all lodged in clearly the most superfluous part of the movie anyway yes uh because it just feels like the whole section is a little misconceived Mm -hmm. as you said it's also i would say more cartoony than the rest of the movie even though the movie is a little bit heightened compared to the first one it's it's never quite so much as in this sequence yeah i I enjoy some of it though well i think we talked about this the crew i like the crew who are all kidnapped I think they're very fun. Yes. Uh, they have this you know, ridiculous sequence where they um, where they are trapped in hanging... Bone cages. Yeah, bone cages yeah. under a cliff. Call and they what have it is, to... Camden. It's, it's bone cages. Yeah. They said they ate half the crew. Yeah. Gibbs. Well, yeah, that's another thing. G- Gibbs is also Ugh. a shining star, and pretty much everything he says is pretty great, too. It's true. If you're going to hear exposition, hear it from Gibbs, because it just means more for some reason. It must I... be the mutton chops that are filling in slowly yeah. as the I would, franchise I would have goes to... on. I don't remember the, about the third one, if he does any exposition, but he definitely gets a Pretty load sure. of it in one and two, and he he is great at it. Yeah. Like in the first one, you know, he and Jack have a lot of 
conversation mm-hmm. when you first meet him again. Yeah. And they do lay out a lot of the sort of the backstory and the plot, but mm-hmm. he's just fun. And yeah, in this one, he explains to, to Will what happened to get them into this situation on Cannibal Island. And he just makes it very entertaining. Yes. And so they, they swing, they use the power of physics. I was talking about how for some reason physics and the environment is a big thing in, in these, all these set pieces and yes. pirates. It's very noticeable here where they use momentum to climb these bone cages up the cliff. And then roll their way yes, to and freedom. Then roll down in a manner that might make you think, uh, how are they alive? Yeah. <laughs> uh, honestly, and it reminds a, me. How are they alive? And B, have they not thrown up on each other? Because if, w- if even one throws up, it's getting over everybody because yeah. they're rolling. Rolling, rolling. It reminds me of uh, the, the, the Hobbit movies mm. and how people described certain sequences in them as being like a, a roller coaster ride or something where yeah. it's like it doesn't feel like a real thing as much this is as the most amusement parky it will ever get yeah it's it's like these no longer feel like things that could happen to real people yes it's they've become superheroes now <laughs> yes so i think that that stuff is is pretty fun and it's really mainly the the parts where jack is off on his own that are the most ridiculous. offensive and or ridiculous yeah because he has all the material where he's actually kind of hanging out with the cannibals but he also yeah has the sequence where he gets turned into a human uh, fruit shish kebab. kebab. Yes. Fruit kebab. It's very a fruit, important. A fruit kebab. I think there are some interesting elements that they were trying to introduce um, throughout the series. And one of the big things is obviously the East India Trading Company. And there is like a really curious moment where Jack is trying to escape. And he is going through the village and searching for like a knife or anything to cut his ropes loose. And he discovers that the East India Trading Company has stuff there. Mm. Now, whether or not that's because sailors before them have come and, you know, been eaten or not, it's clear that, like, even on Cannibal Island, which this is not great, <laughs> like, even with the quote-unquote, I don't know how else you would call them, they're presented as savages because they eat people. Yeah. Um, even the East India Trading Company has spread so far. Yeah, it feels like a brush at some sort of deeper commentary, commentary that, that is... never quite nail in this one. Yeah. I know there's a little bit more in general with the trading company in, in the third movie, and I actually do enjoy some of how that plays out thematically, uh, but it definitely isn't touched on that much in, in this one. Yeah, they're just trying to show an extended like sphere of influence... And, you know, it is also kind of a running commentary with the uh, Tom Hollander character. Yes, Cutler Beckett, yes. who I'm sure we'll talk about more. Uh, he is also more prominent, I think, in the, in the third movie. Yes, but he is, you know, a lot of his scenes are dominated by the fact that, like, he's in a an office with a map, and they're literally filling in the map as he's talking yeah. to be like, the world's getting smaller, guys. That's something I actually like about yes. the, um, also about the making two movies at once structure. Mm-hmm. That he is so transparently a villain that is and mainly, having a great time <laughs> he's mainly being set up for use in the third one yes uh but because you know it was made at the same time it does feel like okay i'm willing to to wait There's for him to really yeah. for him to enter the the fray mm-hmm. um and it kind of is nice because he just has a little bit more setup and and we can talk more about him i'm sure but yeah i think we basically covered why cannibal island doesn't exactly yeah work. it's not great and it's a weird thing to be like uh, this is just kind of like a side adventure for you guys. Uh, it wasn't, I don't think it was handled super, super well. Oh. But on top of that, it's like Jack's interactions 
And then the fact that they're trying to be like, look, even the East India Trading Company spread here. It's like, I get the intent to be like, the world is smaller and like, you can still go on crazy adventures, but like, it just is not awesome. Yeah. So like, plot convolutions aside, generally mm. I feel like after this, the movie is a lot tighter and I like it a lot mm. for various reasons. But, Do you um, have a favorite scene or line, and who's your favorite in character in this movie? <laughs> My favorite scene? Oh, I, I have a favorite s- sequence. That's right? fair. You that know, is fair. Uh, Go for it. I think it. that the final act... Well, I guess it's fair to say... Not the whole thing. Uh, the end of the movie, when they're on the ship with the Kraken, is also great. Mm-hmm. But my favorite, favorite bit is um, slightly earlier when they are on this other island where they find the chest. I think pretty much everything that happens there is great, and it's a large part of why I like the movie a lot. I feel like it all kind of rides on this moment where they manage to get almost everyone in the same place and give them all reasons to fight each other in fun ways. It's really, it's like the ultimate culmination of doing set pieces right. It's not like this is a very deep you or take anything. that back. <laughs> um, there, there are other parts of the movie that have more pretenses to, to being deep. And some of them are good and some of them aren't. Mm-hmm. But this is just a fireworks of like fun, blockbuster action it filmmaking. It is the height of popcorn. Um, I, I, flicks. I mean, certainly in, in the three pirates in the trilogy, I, um, I think this is the best extended action sequence um, in terms of how long it goes. And how much stuff is going on, uh, which you know essentially begins with uh, we haven't even talked about Norrington yet. We have not we even will. touched upon that golden god. <laughs> but it begins with with Will and Norrington and Jack fighting over the chest, and then splits off into them fighting over it in several different locations uh, with not Clock Tower, Belfry is that like yeah, the word? That's yeah, appropriate. <laughs> um, and. Uh, and then on this enormous wheel, which is definitely my favorite part, um, while Elizabeth is also having shenanigans with uh, Pentel and Rigetti yes. off on the side. and uh, That is the one of the few moments in the movie where you have so many characters and you know what each of them are trying to do. Yes, it's very it's very impressive, not just in the fact that you understand everyone, but literally in the fact that you can also see everyone and where they are and what they're trying to do. It's just a very good um, sense of space, I guess, in, in all the action. There's a lot of potentially confusing stuff happening. And then they all kind of meet up back together at the end and crash into the, the shore together. And it's just very fun to watch, I think. It's it's very fun stuff, which then leads into all this ship stuff at the end, which is also really good. So I think generally the final act is the strongest part. And we'll see if I change my mind, but I certainly think I remember that the final act of the third movie is also the best. But. Yes. They got their third acts down. I got to give them yes. that. Whether they're like massive and unwieldy in scale, I do appreciate the ambition that uh, comes after Black Pearl. There's, gotta there's give trouble them some credit there. getting some of the pieces in place. That's the, the tricky bit. They seem to have a very good idea of what they want to do with all the pieces once they are where they need to be. It's just getting them there that, that they have trouble with in both movies. Yes. I think. And, and getting a little distracted by stuff like the cannibals, which... Can't stress enough how much that annoys me. <laughs> you know, it throws it throws a wrench in it because it's like we have a pretty straightforward plot. I mean, without that, it is pretty much just uh, Jack knows he's gonna get cursed. He's looking for this key in this chest. Uh, Will and Elizabeth are looking for him. 
they all eventually find said chest and fight over it. Like, that's pretty that's much the, what it is. A lot gets added on before any of that actually starts happening. So, yeah, I guess my favorite scene is, like, 40 minutes long. But, <laughs> but it's it's the, the end of the movie. And mm-hmm. as we were talking about it, we realized it is pretty much just, like, intro, cannibals, and then various bits of exposition and stuff, like uh, Will is on the ship here with Davy Jones. Flying Dutchman, baby! while everyone else is kind of just getting to where they need to go. Yeah, it's. I think it's very, very clear in this one uh, that unlike the first one, it's very obvious that they are like moving the chess pieces. You can see the string. We're like, we gotta, we gotta pull mm-hmm. all of these characters together and get them here. And it's just, it's, you know, it's done. It's executed. Maybe not as gracefully as it could be just because they might be a little bit more interested in spectacle than, you know, just kind of a clean through line. But I think that is why the third act works pretty well, is because you're like, well, we finally got him here. Let's just let them play. Well, I think maybe we should discuss the, um, the my new favorite characters. Scene. <laughs> you don't want to hear my favorite oh, scene? Oh, I do. I do. Okay. Just, we normally do that at the end. I know. Throw no, <laughs> we do a favorite characters at the end. Yes. The MVP. What is your favorite scene? Uh, thank you for asking. I still need to think about it. Hold on a second. <laughs> didn't even know <laughs> no i would i would say my favorite scene is probably i do quite enjoy elizabeth with the dual wielding swords and the set piece yeah but i would say um <laughs> sounds really morbid i think my the end might be my favorite scene with the, with the barbosa reveal because it is super super annoying as the cliffhanger when you watched it in theaters when it got released mm-hmm. But it was really an exciting moment to be like, hey, all this craziness happened. Like that whole scene in the hut, I think is just so beautifully played because it's a moment where everybody's feeling down about Jack and they're about to gear up for their final adventure. And I do love the momentum in that scene. And I love that it just kind of completely throws it with Mm -hmm. with Barbosa showing up because then all of a sudden you're like, we have this momentum where we're going to go off and get them back, and then you're just like, oh shit, Barbosa's here. I mean, this means like anything can happen now. It's been blown wide open, and that's really exciting. It is a fun scene. I always. This is a really good was... piece of production design, yeah. too, her hut. I really like it. I always thought it was bold. Yes. I never got why some people didn't like it. I, I didn't like it, it a... when I first saw it, but that was because I was like, fuck, I have to wake and yeah. another year. Yeah, I think it was mainly a knee jerk thing about waiting it didn't really have anything to do with whether it was a good cliffhanger yeah you know we said the matrix had done this Mm. it's probably the only other major example though at this point yes it becomes a trend more after this to do all these two-part endings yes but i think at this point people weren't used to it yet Mm -hmm. so i don't know how they actually announced it but i would imagine whether or not they actually explicitly said this or not a lot of people probably thought when they said they were making uh, pirates two and three that meant they were making two more standalone movies Yes. And we're not pleased yes. to discover. Yes, you're like, no, we actually made one movie and cut it in half. <laughs> it, it wasn't that popular to make series, like, in the early 2000s. I know that a lot of people even watched, like, Fellowship of the Ring mm-hmm. and were, like, frustrated at the end, you know? Like, yeah. oh, like, it's not over. It's like they knew it was a trilogy, but yeah. it's like they were still annoyed. <laughs> I think the difference is, is Pirates of the Caribbean is based off of a ride, yeah. and most other trilogies are usually based off of book series. So people, like, know where it's going to end up. People like, you watch Lord of the Rings, it. and you're like, when they said they got three movies, we know it's going to be those three books. It and was, with Pirates, you're like, we don't know where this is going. Yeah. It so. was just definitely different from, like, now, where 
you know, Marvel says, uh, all right, the climax is going to be uh, seven movies from now. Yeah. And everyone's like, great, we'll wait. Cool. Lock us in. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Pencil us in. <laughs> they didn't like that. Yeah. But I always thought it was great. And plus, I mean, Barbosa is just the best. So yes. how could that not please yes. you? We're going we're gonna to put a pin in him and save well, him obviously, for later. Yes. Yes. But uh, obviously he has more of a presence in the third one. But uh, it was fun because it also does give this movie some pretty decent rewatch value in the sense of, obviously, the first time they go to the hut, they give her the undead monkey, which I'm just like, did the monkey steal the coin? Like, and then you're like, yes, it did in the post credit scene of yes, the first movie. Did. So, boom, continuity, guys. Uh, but the nice thing is the monkey jumps over to a pair of boots. And, like, in hindsight, it is very, very obvious. But as a small child with a small attention span who was probably just too busy looking at Orlando Bloom in that scene, I did not notice that the monkey was hanging out with a pair of boots. It's well done, just filmmaking, I yes. think. Because um, there's a lot going on yeah. in the hut. Yes, there is. And there's a there's lot eyeballs. of cuts to, like, yeah, weird things. It doesn't occur to you to think it's weird that they very briefly, Show. once or twice, cut back to the monkey kind of chattering. Yes. Um, it is also... A great place to sneak in a locket. So after this movie, the first time or second time I watched it in theaters, I very, again, I thought I was brilliant, but clearly not, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) realized that uh, Tia Dama and Steve Jones have matching lockets. And I was just like, oh my god, I cracked the case they wide open. And everybody. History. They have history. And I was like, oh my god, she's the one he loved. And you're, I'm just like, guys, I have groundbreaking news for all I of cracked you. Cracked the code. And they were like, wait, you didn't get that the first time? I was like, clearly not. <laughs> I remember we noticed this is another good piece of exposition, too. In mm-hmm. this case, Tia Dama is giving the exposition. Yes. But she mainly gives it directly to um, Gibbs and Bintel and Rigetti. Yes. And her exposition is pretty straightforward. I mean, uh, I forgot her name. Um, Naomi Harris? Naomi Harris. Yeah. You know, she's hamming it up. It's fun. But, like... It's their their reactions saying. make it really entertaining, even though it is straight exposition, because yes. they're just... Like horrified you know by what everything is she's saying. Great about that moment though what? is when there she's like he fell in love with the woman and then and then they're like no 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 I heard it was the sea yeah. and she's like same story different version and you're like oh that's hilarious because that does kind of riff off of the whole thing of in the first one what's myth what's real mm-hmm. and like what stories come out of you know what situations with pirates because they do like to embellish with like sea turtles and shit. But the funny reality is, it's like, she's absolutely right, because if you were to watch the third one, spoilers, guys, she is a woman, but she is also Calypsis, Calypso, who's like the goddess sea. of the sea. Yes. So you're like, yeah, same, yes, same I think story. It's, it's clever, and, and it also just, it just sounds kind of elegant, the way yes. they the way they say it. Yeah. I mean, in general, like, Tia Dama and her hut and herself is also obviously like a, a tropey sort of stereotype of like a pirate movie. Yeah. Like an exotic exposition witchy lady yeah but like it just comes off a lot better than like the cannibals i don't know partially it is because she is a character yes <laughs> um and naomi harris does a great job um but it's just it's just different you know it feels like it actually matters to the plot too yes that's part of it. i mean the fact that she does become much more important later in the third movie mm-hmm. helps a lot i think it also because... helps that she's just enjoying hitting on Orlando Bloom the whole time. Yeah. Which is really funny because it is also like it is played for comedy, but at the same time if you're to go back and watch it, you could play it off as um she's always attracted to the captain of the Flying Dutchman. Mhm. It's like currently Davy Jones, 
but it will be will. Ah, spoilers. Yeah. And she goes, you have a touch of destiny in you. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, ooh, will special. So. She puts the inflection on that. Yes. On those words. Yeah. Um, but I think that's probably my favorite part is like stuff with her in the hut is really interesting. Um, especially after you've been given all the exposition. I do like the ending scene. Plus, the scenes have a lot of atmosphere. Even though when I was younger, I definitely skipped them all the time due to the action parts. Fair, very fair. <laughs> I also, this is another fun thing. Uh, I love stories about movies where you have like behind the scenes sneak into it. And this is one of my favorite instances where I think it's kind of very well known that obviously they did not tell everybody on set that Barbosa was going to be walking down the stairs. Mm-hmm. They were told that it was going to be Anna Maria, played by Zoe Saldana in the first movie. Which is foolish of them to believe, because she's never come back. No. Oh, so sad, though. <laughs> Wasted. Wasted, I tell you! But the best part about that story is <laughs> the reaction shot that you see in the movie, the one that they chose to use is the proper reaction that all of the actors had when it was revealed to them live and in person that Barbosa was the one coming down the stairs, which is great. And I think you can see, like, they had to cut away really quick because I bet everybody was like, what the fuck? What are you doing here, Jeffrey? Um, but it does make me giggle just thinking, like, okay, guys, we have to nail this take. We'll probably do it again, but, like, we really want to nail this one. And just, like, Jeffrey Rush is just in the background being like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. I'm going to eat an apple. It's going to be great. I'm going to just scare the shit out of everybody. That makes me happy. Yeah, for some reason, I was very amused this time thinking about a lot of times when they do stuff like this, it's, like, jump scare to the actors. Yes. I think it's funny for some reason because he actually has lines to deliver. And it's, like, a slow reveal. Yes, Obviously, they so cut. it's, like, they you're going to get their reactions. But in the moment when they did it... That means that they were all kind of still shocked, and he just had to kind of continue to do his just thing. being Barbosa yeah. and ignore the fact that he was probably, you know, really enjoying their confusion. Yeah, that that he had to stay in character like a pro. Yeah, you know. he fucking nailed it. I mean, they could have just done another take from his side, but that's not the point. Yes, but the point is that <laughs> happened, and that's exciting. And yes. it is fun to think about. Um, obviously, considering the first one with Johnny Depp's performance and it just being like loose and wild and really fun. And, it, you know, obviously moments of improv, uh, that there are still moments of, like, the unexpected and ad-lib and spontaneity that snuck in there. Why don't we talk about our main cast and such? Yes. And before we move on to our new people. Yeah. And starting with Jack, mm. because he's definitely the, the linchpin of all discussion about Pirates movies and their sequels. Yes. So, as we talked about in the previous podcast episode i think the reason why the first one works so well and why obviously i think jack works the best is because he is not the main character he is a fun wily side character who just pops incredibly on screen and the part that makes him so interesting in the first movie is he's actually a little dangerous but like we've said once you see him you know kind of pull the wool over your eyes and you go oh you know regardless of how gray of an area he is in the end, he's usually going to do the right thing. Yeah. And it is fun to watch him try and play people off of each other. But in the end, you know he's going to do the right thing. So as epic of a moment as it is when he gets to do that hero pose and take the musket from Elizabeth and mm-hmm. shoot the barrels and explode everything and go after the Kraken, there is a moment where you see him rowing away. And you're like, well, come on He's going to come back. He's <laughs> going to come back. Which is you know, something that might not have been said if that scene were to take place mm-hmm. in the first movie. You might not have known that. I think that the fundamental change, of course, also that they have written a script 
Um, that is for with, Johnny Depp. Yeah, they have written it in the first movie for this character, Captain Jack, and this guy is coming in, and he's doing it a lot weirder than they thought he would. Mm-hmm. So now they're writing to that level of weirdness yes. from day one of scripting, which is a very different thing. And I think it's a pretty steady trajectory. Yeah. Like, he's not as good in this one as he was in the first one, but like compared to the most recent Pirates movie, he's still great. Yes. <laughs> I think they are able to safeguard him a little bit in the in the original trilogy, or at mm. least the original sequels. Well, the main difference is that not everything works anymore, I think. Yes. Some of his callback jokes are a little groan-worthy. Some of them are great. Yeah. Uh, some of his n- various new stuff is great. Some of it is a little, like, it's a little excessively zany. Yes. But a lot of it still works. Yeah. It's not like this is broken. It's it's just like, oh, it's not We've as fresh. Yeah. yeah. I, I do think the fun thing about him... Again, in the first one is um, he is usually a few steps ahead of people. Mm-hmm. And in this one, since his plan is, whether intentionally or not, convoluted to both us as an audience member and his crew, it is hard to tell just, are you really how many steps ahead of people? Like, yes. you're still very good at manipulating people, clearly, as evidenced by his ability to get Norrington to immediately turn on Will in the middle of their sword fight. Yes. And I um, think the best uh, moments for him like that are, are when he is getting people to use the compass yes. that is meant to show you exactly what you want the most yes. to basically direct Convince to whatever them. he wants the most yes. by just persuading them that they wanted to. Those are his most oh, one-step-ahead clever style moments. Yes, but everything else... I mean, it is fun to see a character who's usually like a couple steps ahead be like, oh shit, I don't know what I'm doing. But you never wanted to be a couple steps behind everybody yeah. else. And... To be fair, and something that helps this movie in particular, I think, is that the end goal is obviously that he is going to lose, you yes. know, and then they're going to save him in the third one. Yeah. So he can't perpetually be three steps ahead of everyone, yeah. because otherwise he would win. Yes. So I don't think they necessarily. This is positive. I think they don't. They don't make him worse by just making him dumb. He's still like jumping around people. They yeah. just make some of the other characters also able to be good at that. And you know what happens at the end of this? Fundamentally, the reason I guess that he loses is because like Norrington gets in ahead him. of him. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't feel like he was outmaneuvered because they just made him stupid now. Like the person that got around him feels like they did legitimately, I guess. Yes. Which isn't nice, at least because. It's like, oh, he lost, but it doesn't feel like he lost, he lost because yeah. the, the script said so, I guess. Yeah. Um, I also think one of my favorite things about the first movie is he gets to interact with the, the main antagonist a lot more. Obviously, they yes. are saving this whole Davy Jones showdown, the, the meat of it for the third one. But he has very little interaction with Davy Jones. And which is funny because he is trying to pit a lot of people against Davy Jones to get what he wants most specifically Will. And it's funny because it's like, he's clearly scared of Davy Jones, but since we don't see them interact that much, it's like, it plays off more of like, you're just terrified of the Kraken. And the one (laughs) scene where we do is actually pretty great. Yes. Where Davy Jones appears in his telescope uh, in a pretty magical shot. Yes. But yeah, it's it's being held off for later, essentially. Yeah, you can kind of feel that pull too when you watch it. So, you know, Jack is... Not not quite as shiny as he used to be. Yeah, but I also think 
the fact it is hard to center the action around a character who is supposed to be that wily. Um, yeah. I think that's why he does work better as a side character in the first one, is because the first one, the main plot is about Will and Elizabeth. Like, they are kind of the driving force. Now, he has, like, a, a huge investment in that plot, but in this one, it's like, no, he is the driving force. He's the reason why all of this stuff is happening. I um, think he, he does tend to still be at his most entertaining when mm-hmm. he is surrounded by lots of other people. Yes. And lots of stuff is happening, and he's in the mix mm-hmm. um, when it's not just him all by himself. Uh, which reminds me, though we haven't touched on it at all, mm-hmm. but I do really love the scene in the middle of the movie at Tortuga. Yes. Which is very fun and funny and also yes. has some fun action-y stuff as well. Agreed. So I, I think Jack is like, you can still root for him, which is important. It's just that he doesn't have a lot of that nuance on various angles. Yeah, they went for, before. definitely went broader with him, which makes sense. I mean, they like I said, it is a sequelitis, greatest hits. We want people to be like, hey, we know that you guys like that, so we're going to reference that, and obviously a lot of that falls into his lap because he came up with so many mm-hmm. fun and interesting spontaneous things in the first one that people really, you know, caught on to. So there now, is a lot of rum jokes with him. Yes. <laughs> Having uh, watched it again, I really like Will in it. Yeah. So, um, I actually think he retains most of his strengths from the first movie. And in general... I don't know. I think we feel like he might be underrated a little bit. I agree. Uh, I don't remember if we actually talked about this in the first podcast here, but it plays well to Orlando Bloom's strengths, is how I keep thinking of it. Yes. Orlando Um, Bloom's funny, guys. The worst thing you can say about Will as a character is that he's, like, boring and or sort of wooden in his boringness, I guess. But I think most of that plays really well to the idea that he's presented as overly pompous and kind of oblivious about stuff i think he's a little self-righteous yeah yeah but in it, a fun way it's like know? all these things the movie is aware of all of them yeah so for me whenever he might slip into being laughable i guess yes. the movie wants you to laugh yes and he's actually pretty funny he might be funnier in this one than he is in the first one he certainly has a lot of funny lines okay guys he says <laughs> all right so my favorite line reading of this entire movie is when he's like, I'm not leaving without Jack on Cannibal Island. And then they turn and they do that magical moment of, you know, Jack running like a lizard. And he just goes, time to go. And it just makes me laugh so hard every time because I'm like, boom, Orlando Bloom, you've got that comedic timing. I also like it when he stumbles dizzy out of that wheel at the end. Yes. That's pretty good. It's pretty awesome. But I almost think that because... Jack is not as strong as a character. Mm-hmm. He's a little zanier, which means at times you're you're almost kind of like it's getting a little irritating. Mm. It, it kind of makes me like Will more at times because he's, he's often there, kind of being like, "Be serious, Jack," yeah. and you're you're kind of thinking, "I also would like you to." So it like puts you more in line mm-hmm. <laughs> with him as a viewpoint character, whereas in the first movie you're more likely to be, you know, on Jack's side, thinking like. Yes. Wow, this kid's stupid. Yes. It's it's strange how that works in a kind of a balancing act where one of them is almost improved by the other one being worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like him a lot in it. Yes. And we could also talk about Elizabeth. Uh, yeah. I do appreciate that, as we've said before in the previous one, 
they do not break the world with her now learning how to mm-hmm. use swords and wield them because god damn it Kira Knightley it could could have just been a stunt woman in another life huh. I think she's very very good at that stuff how's and the sorting in this movie I mean it's it's like I can't even tell you man like there's no proper sword fight no proper sword fight yeah there's a there's a fucking wheel of fortune going there I can't do much about that <laughs> I mean, obviously, Orlando Bloom's Orlando Bloom, so they're still really great, but, I mean, they all are. But I will say, like, Keira Knightley goes for it, and I super appreciate that. There's some more sorting in the third movie. Yeah, a little bit more, for sure. But I I like that, um, you know, where she's doing this weird, awkward flirting sequence with Jack on the ship, which is a whole other thing we will discuss. (laughs) Um, She says, like, you do know that Will taught me how to use a sword, right? And you're like, yes, that's literally the one line we needed. To be like, it makes sense. You guys have been together for a year. You're going to get married. You went on this adventure together in the previous one where you didn't know how to use a sword. Will is blacksmith. Trains with sword all the time. Obviously, Elizabeth's like, I want in on that action, man. I've wanted to do it all my life, so let's get this done. And then from there on out, when you see her wielding the two swords, you're like, this makes sense. This works. Also, good job, Kira. Generally, I think, yeah, she's pretty good. Maybe yes. in my head a little bit less memorable than... Will, and I think it's mainly because she is more separated from everyone else for a big portion of the movie. Yes. Like, she, she's with other people, and, and her exploits on that other ship are fun. Yes. With the very gullible um, crewman. Yes. Who, uh, yes, yes, she manipulates. Yeah. What's um, that over there? <laughs> but they are also people that are not really important characters at all. And even when Will is separated from Jack and the crew, he's still, like, with Davy Jones. Yeah, he's still vital um, to the, the so other characters. Like... It takes until Elizabeth really meets back up with everyone at the end for her to really feel fully integrated, and I think she she's a lot more integrated into the, the third movie. Actually, yes, she definitely has a bigger role but, in the third um, movie. But she is fun, and and it feels like a pretty natural progression. Yes. From, from the first, she movie. tries to again a, a, a fun call back to the first movie. She tries to faint to get everybody's attention. Yes. I think that's probably the most successful call callback back. joke yeah. because it doesn't work in this one. Because it's like we are acknowledging that this was a fun thing, but this character has evolved and everybody else has evolved, and this just isn't going to work in this plot, but well, we're going to give it to you anyway. My other favorite callback is also a failure to call back when, when <laughs> Jack attempts to uh, uh, say, This is the. You will, you will always remember this is the time that you almost caught Jack Sparrow, but the sea hits him in the face before he can finish the sentence. It's pretty great. It's pretty always great. better to probably to, to puncture. That your stuff. own callbacks instead of merely saying them again regurgitating them yeah. yes agreed so i think these this trio you know they, they end up pretty well and yeah. let's talk about that trio and triangles and <laughs> why why this got set up as a love triangle before going into the third one I I struggle with the idea that they really wanted anyone to buy into it i'm not sure which if that's is true. weird why there are certain scenes there where like I feel like it's almost like their version in this movie of the the island scene between Jack and Elizabeth where they're getting drunk in the first movie Mm -hmm. and he is hitting on her and she's just kind of in on it. She has an ulterior motive and gets him drunk. And then in this one, it's when they're on the deck and she is like teasing him about being a good man and doing the right thing when the moment comes, which, you know, at the end of the movie is a payoff. He does more or less do the right thing because she has trapped him into it but i think it's just doesn't play as well because you're like you get side comments from norrington being like ah where is your latest fiance and oh you're looking at him the way i wish you'd looked at me and will and it's just like 
all the side characters and even like her holding the compass yeah. keeps pointing towards Jack and you're like, this is kind of weird. <laughs> that's, that's probably the tricky part. Yes. Because it feels like Jack is a little taken in at the end of the movie, clearly realizes it was a trick. Yes. Um, I do love that never... line reading where he calls her pirate though. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's good. It never it's feels like, he's like... proud of her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It never feels like she is actually in on it at all. Yeah. And I think that's the key um, difference between that those moments between them and this one and in the first one. And and Will certainly seems to think that maybe it is. Which is hilarious. But you like you know it isn't, so Yes. It's a little silly. I and think I can't tonally remember it's a little off. Well how much do they really do with it in the third one? I mean they they have this whole thing where Will still thinks that she's in love with him. Yeah. He's like, We should talk about this and she's like, I did what I had to do. Um But it kinda I, gets cleared up yeah, pretty quickly. Immediately. It doesn't really feel like something they were committed to. Yeah. I think they just wanted them in a, a, a precarious position yeah. as the young lovers for the third one. But so just just messing around, just to mess around with them, kind yeah, of. Yeah, which is why it feels a little extraneous. I do like the, the, the tension and the playfulness between her and Jack, because they do have a, a fun relationship. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason why I've always enjoyed it is because it is platonic. Yeah. However, <laughs> whether or not Jack really wants it to be platonic, <laughs> it's always going to be platonic because, yeah. like, Elizabeth is in control. And um, I appreciate that. And I, I appreciate them trying to mix it up a little bit, but I just don't think it, it ex- mm-hmm. was executed as well. Uh, especially considering, like, where everybody ends up in the third one and how much the first one is dependent on Will and Elizabeth just kind of mm-hmm. hopelessly being in love with each other and not being able to articulate it. And then finally at the end they do. To be like, okay, you guys went through this adventure, and now she might be like totally into another pirate, she and one we've already, pirates. she's already spent time with, and it has been like, nah, man, shutting you down. So, someone who was mentioned, who clearly would like to be, or used to like to be part of this love triangle square. Yes. Miss Norrington. <sighs> James and Norrington. I don't know. What has the world done to you? Or a new character, but he's probably my favorite. Yeah, I so, think he's my favorite. He really was already quite entertaining in the first movie, but he now he's dirty. He's like up. Aragorn. He looks. <laughs> I just like him better when they're dirtier. <laughs> I don't know if it's quite the same. No, uh, it's the same. <laughs> covered in mud and yeah, all that. Yeah, it's great. Um, Love it. But he's pretty great. I, I mean, was... the dark, edgy thing is really, really entertaining on him. It's a fun evolution too, because. At the end of the first one, you have this idea of if there were no sequels, you could just imagine Norrington chasing Jack to the ends of the earth forever. Just kind of that fun adventure trope of being like, and then, you know, they they chased each other into the sunset and had many adventures, and it was all good fun. And in this one, it's like they take that idea and completely run with it because the first time you see norrington officially in tortuga they're like what's your story and he's like my story is the same as your story just one chapter behind mm-hmm. and it is great to think like oh no he was actually chasing them and he was crazy enough to go into a hurricane to get him and it completely destroyed him and here's where he's at and it's such a fun character direction because if you're just to look at him in the first one alone you're like you, i could not have bet money on this is the trajectory he's on, but I really enjoy it. I like how seriously they take him as an asset. Yes. To be used, he's already fine. It would be fine if he was just there to be the guy who the commodore again. He's sort of oh, I was in his new role. I mean, yeah, like to be the guy that basically makes all the really snarky comments. Yeah, that's fine. And kind of punctures Jack's 
whole mystique over and over while he's on the crew with them. Which he kind of does in the um, first one, but they bring it full tilt into this one. Yeah, he fills that role very well, um, but actually using him more heavily in the plot to, to make him steal the, the heart yes. and deliver it to the East India Company and just generally... Restore himself. Yeah, almost yeah. almost g- grab the plot and be like, I'm I'm important I again. grabbed the plot and ran away with it, literally. It's, I don't know, it's a testament to the fact, I think, that they realized how much they could probably do with him and with the actor, uh, Jack Davenport. Love him. Um, who love you, Jackie. I, I know that I... It makes me sad, but I generally quite like his, his story in the third one, too. I think they handled him very well in terms of just... I just wish they hadn't killed him. <laughs> they I know there treat wasn't him, much treat more him they surprisingly could seriously. Do. The, yeah. the fact that they're actually able to get from him being so funny to him being funny a different way mm-hmm. to giving him an actual arc that results in you actually it's being sad that he is dead it's a is a goddamn um, shame. Is yeah. very impressive. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I also must make a comment on the costuming for him in this movie. I love that he is still wearing his wig, <laughs> and it is just a freaking wreck. Yes. Um, but I also really, really love his costume because um, it's basically the same Commodore costume, but it's completely been faded and just kind of scrapped together and gone through the ringer just like him. And it makes me happy because I think we joked about this in the previous episode. In the in the behind the scenes of the first film, you know, you have Jack talking about he's like, everybody just looks so much cooler than me. I look like an ice cream cone. Like I just look so uncool, and it's great. Kind of how like Kira was like, I want swords. It's like they got her swords, and they did it in a way that's mm-hmm. logical to the world. And they're like, Hey guys, Norrington has a really cool costume now, but we did it in a really cool and logical way for the world. So I just appreciate that little detail. And I, I like his frizzy wig. It makes me laugh every time. But it, it is, is also... Yeah, it's... They, they're very good, oddly. Yeah. At the side characters. Yes. Um, we have these various issues with some of the main elements of mm-hmm. characters, but it feels like somehow they are able to mostly avoid this I think like it's because else. the side characters aren't driving the plot, yeah. and the plot is so convoluted that you kind of get caught up in like, wait, well, what the hell are they doing with these main characters? Mm-hmm. Whereas the side characters, I think, are pretty a pretty good constant. Like, they're obviously, focused. they've evolved, but yes, they're very focused, and they're very there's a lot of intent behind like what they're doing with these characters, which I appreciate. Um, it is also fun with Norrington. Like I said, there is great rewatch value, and it is fun to track him in the fight when he steals the yeah that's the that's heart fun too. because it's like it's very obvious, but since so much is happening right now. You could you could totally misread it the first time you watch it, and then mm-hmm. you go back and see it a second time. He's clearly shoving it, you know, in his chestal area. It's it's a benefit <laughs> of, of having that many moving pieces. Yes, is that you, you can plausibly, for the first time at least, you could plausibly have him, um, you know, be like, "I'll distract everyone else and run off," and the viewer might actually think, "Oh my That's god, he sacrificed he's himself." Yeah. Such like, a good man. <laughs> they might not. They might not figure it out at first. Uh huh. Um, unless they uh, notice exactly what he was doing. I appreciate that. We should also talk about our main man, Dave Jones. I was gonna save him for last. Oh, okay. Who else do you want to talk about? I thought we about? should briefly touch on Mister Mister Beckett. Yes. Before we talk about him more in the third movie. Tom Hollander is the best, guys. Yes, I am biased here. So biased. But uh, he's not in the movie that much. No. I think he's very effective. Yes. I think we were very appreciative of the scene where Elizabeth. Um, corners him at night yeah that's a great scene and he sort of talks about you know what he wants her to do and they're trying to make a deal i he's, he's just very good in it and and he is 
menacing and it's it's I think thematically very good in the second and third movies in general that they have this they have these fantastical villains and they have this very very grounded human boring kind of villain and um he's more sinister yeah, yeah and he's like more hateable he's not f- as fun yeah i love that scene between him and elizabeth because it's a great moment to see how she has evolved and as evidenced by her escape when her father tries to help her uh, get her to a ship and the ship's captains died fun fact I believe that in some sort of like behind the scenes or something, the captain that um, Cutlet's evil man kills and was like, ho ho, he's dead. He had a letter written in your hand or whatever. Um, the man who dies is supposed to be Jim Hawkins' dad from Treasure Island, which apparently, you know, he is dead and they get word of it. Well, guess who killed him? Our dude. It's, like a, it's a tragedy that we never knew about. Exactly. Fun so, times. I mean, that's that's the biggest scene that, that, is a, that Mr. Beckett has in this movie, really. And it's fun because it starts with the with the caveat that Elizabeth is much more politically savvy than her dad. She doesn't trust mm-hmm. the system in the way that he trusts it because she knows that it does not work. And so she's come to negotiate herself, mm-hmm. which is a fantastic use of, like, look how much agency she has. She's always been very political when she's had to, like, interact with the bad guys, as evidenced by the first one with Barbosa, where she negotiates, you know, stopping the hostilities against Port Royal. But it's a great moment for her to be like, oh, look, she's you know, still the same Elizabeth that we love. But then when she tells him, like, you, there's something you need to know about this place, and he's just like, oh, my God, I do not care about Cursed Treasure. Not at all. <laughs> there's so many more, like, magical chests in this. And it just completely breaks it because he's just, like, she's trying to be like, I have information. He's like, oh, that thing? Yeah, I'm not interested in that thing at all. And you're immediately like, well, this dude's kind of scary. The world has expanded. Yeah, his ambitions or his sights are set so much higher than any of the highest stakes you get in the first movie. That's amazing. And then, you know, she has her gun and they have a great conversation. And it's like she is very, you know, savvy politically, but also she's definitely leaning more into some pirate tendencies by holding him at gunpoint and being like, you ruined my wedding night. Yes. <laughs> so it's a it's I'm a great scene. And it's just nice because you get just enough of him to be like, you're going to be really fun to watch in the third one. Sadly, uh, not a lot of Governor Swan in this movie. True. Um, we do see him without the wig again. Yeah, that is fun. That which is, is always a good time for me. Uh, and I don't know how much he does in the third one before He's he dies. He's dead. You is don't he just see already him? dead? He's already dead, I'm pretty wow. sure. We'll have to, don't quote me on that. But Spoilers. Pretty sure. So sad. Yeah. Uh, that's too bad because he's great. Yes. But, um, want to talk about Davy Jones? I do want to talk about Davy Jones. Let's freaking do it. Bill Nye, also a fave. We are biased. Can't help it. Well, this is like my favorite Bill Nye role. You know, yeah. I've never, he's never been as good as when he had all these tentacles. It's true. Also, let us just talk about how amazing this movie still looks. It looks great. I mean, we've also mentioned, like, obviously the first one looks great and the skeletons don't look... You know, they look good, but they're clearly not there, but they do have the... The oh, I nice didn't mention that earlier. That was wiggle room of it being in the dark for yeah. most of it in the first one. That was the other big set piece in the first one. Is is the underwater skeleton? Yes. Merch. That was like the show off set piece scene. In know. like all the marketing for that yeah. movie. Yeah. Now in this one, you have <laughs> you have just like this incredible CGI character who 
is in daylight and walking around and has tentacles and each of the tentacles like have their own little mind of their own and have to be animated separately there's sections it's just incredible to watch he looks very amazing and you look at his his crew who are very nicely designed and they don't look quite as good no you can tell just how much work was put into him specifically yes because he on the other hand still looks very so good. very good yeah for 2006 it's been what 14 years since that movie came out he looks really really good for a 2006 fully cgi character i must say he looks incredible and bill nye is great Yes. And, and he somehow looks so much like Bill Nye, even though he is clearly a tentacle man. Uh, yes, a squid octopus man. Yes. Um, I also we very talked about balance. the little details that we really love, where the the Flying Dutchman, which is just such a cool design for a ship, looks great when it goes below the surface and pops back up to the islands, and the crew is going below into the surface, and then the little tentacles hold on to <laughs> yes. the, little, the old Dave Jones's hat. It's really great. It's just little He's moments great. like that where you're like, I think they really had a good time designing these characters and they were really hard to make and um, it looks good. In general, he just works too. I yes. think compared to some of the convoluted stuff in the second and third movies, mm-hmm. uh, even though he is caught up in some of it, his motivations are always very clear, yes. I think. so. He's a grump grump. So he is always good. Like in this movie, it is pretty much just like, I'm trying to get to Jack. It's not hard to understand. Yes. And, you know, he gets a little bit more depth right in the third one. Yeah. But even then, it's it's very easy to understand sort of depth. So he doesn't ever really get lost in any of that, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's just great. I mean, he's, he looks great. Mm-hmm. He's very menacing. Yeah. He's also just, like, entertaining, though. He has yes. that great level of hamminess, you yes. know, like the way he says Jack Sparrow all the time. Yeah, and he he's spits a lot. Very Scottishly. Appreciate that. <laughs> yes, I have always liked his final desperate angry yell at Jack Sparrow. I also appreciate his musical talents, guys. Oh yeah, he's great at playing the tentacle organ. Yeah. Designed specifically for multiple tentacles. tentacles. Yeah. I also, it does make me wonder, because this is something we're going to dive into more in the third one, about the mechanics of the curse, and being the captain of the Dutchman. We'll talk about that more, but I do love the fact that they chose, like, an octopus for him, because I don't think you get much choice in what you're, you know, as you become more part of the ship, part of the crew, Mm -hmm. and get, you know, obviously... Daddy Starsguard gets uh, gets more and more of a prevalent starfish on his face and becomes more and more like part of the ship, less human. Again, fun character designs, but it is fun that they mm-hmm. picked him. And they're like, you know what? This man already had an organ when he was human, and now we're going to make sure that he has a lot of tentacles so he can still play that. That is what the curse dictated. That's he what probably it... wanted them, so yeah. he, he thought this is the plus, is that I can yeah. play even better now. Yeah, haha, <laughs> joke's on you guys. I'm actually really content with my life. Just kidding. Yeah, He's and a sad dude. His ship people probably have a great time getting soundtracked always, you know. Yeah. Well, my assumption is that I think the crew digs he, it. He gets kind of down in the dumps and yeah. he, he goes like, and oh, really plays Cap's the organ. Yeah. not feeling yeah. great. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's not enjoying his normal Which one of you had to call Mari? He's going to be furious. No. Oh. It's true. <laughs> Too soon? I'm sorry. It was it was low-hanging fruit, but I went for it. I um, um I don't feel like I have much to say about like Will's dad. I, I think it's all fine. It's not the most exciting part of the movie. Yeah. I do find it rather morbid if you think about the mechanics of the previous curse in the first movie. They obviously tied some cannonballs to bootstraps, bootstraps, mm-hmm. as they say. And he's just down there at the bottom of the ocean letting the waves crash over him, which he does mention to Jack. And I remember um, 
as a kid, when I watched the movie obsessively for the first one, when they finally lift the curse, I'm like, did Will just kill his dad? Because he is technically like an undead immortal dude at the bottom of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Hasn't died, hasn't resurfaced. Like, as soon as the curse is lifted, obviously these pirates can die very quickly. So I was like, oh shit, I think Will just killed his dad. And there's a great moment where, like, it didn't need an explanation, but I love that they did it anyway, where it's like, he wasn't living nor dead so he could make a bargain with Davy Jones because that is something that they do because they were able to spot Will out when they do that that little ritual to mm-hmm. be like you're you're not dying or dead what are you doing here and he's like Jack Sparrow sent me great line reading by Will again <laughs> That's a good line reading. um but it is a moment to be like oh yeah Will didn't actually kill his dad when he lifted the curse because his dad had already made a bargain with Davy Jones to serve on the crew so he was up off that ocean floor do you think he still somehow felt it when the curse was lifted like oh something is different I don't know I would think so because that is also another like great moment of uh, Rigetti and Patel being his like his twice cursed undead father he just he yes. just is going from bad deals to worse with some curses on the high seas and maybe he shouldn't I was thinking too much about the, the mechanics of of storytelling, watching that one scene where Rigetti... Oh, God, I forgot how to say their names. Rigetti and Pintel. Rigetti and Pintel. Sum up... Um, I say confidently. I'm still not sure. Sum up the plot, exposition-wise, yeah. and thinking, I suppose this might be in here to help people who are confused. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it's not that confusing at this point. It's it just really feels funny. like this is just in here because someone thought it'll be funny if they recap it. Which is not the kind of thing you see very often in movies. Mm. Just like, this scene has no real purpose. Yeah. But it is funny. We enjoy it. So, He's I don't mind. He's great. He's great. So, Davy Jones does sort of come with... He's a package deal. Yes. Um, he comes with an even larger uh, tentacle-based friend. Yeah. Two for the price of one, baby. Yes. Control Ooh, the seas. We all love. We and, do. And it takes Quite a, a surprisingly bit. long time to show up. I forgot. I mean, that's part of why it is effective, I guess. Yes. But our our Kraken, the I mean the Our Lord and Savior. I was gonna say the man of the hour, the you know Cephalopod of the hour. Yeah, that's the word. Thank yep. you. Here to help. Um he uh sort of briefly shows up very early on mm-hmm. in the movie when mm-hmm. Jack's hat is uh drifting onto another ship. Yes. He swallows the chip. Yeah. It's a very quick... You know, he made a mistake, guys. We all do it sometimes. Sometimes we don't get the food we want. He swallowed the wrong ship. It's awkward, but, like, what are you what are you going to do? You can't do anything about it. You crushed it. It's too late. Crushed it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, then he has his big moment uh, when Will is on the other ship later, mm. which is, I mean, it's just a great scene, where everything is destroyed except for, for Will. And God, just... that crew had it bad. First no. they thought they were like got a, a cursed like bride on there. And they all died. And then they all died. It's great that you get that little glimpse because once they send them out for real, um, you know you're about to get like something Shit's much gonna bigger. Shit's going to get fucked yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, I think, the, a technical the correct term. term. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, the Kraken, he doesn't look quite as good as like Davy Jones, but he looks very, very good. Yeah. And Another one of those, you know he's not there on screen, but they did a nice, they did a lot of detail work with him. Yeah, I mean, there's that one shot where, um, at the end of the movie, they uh, they shoot him out of all the little gun holes in the ship. Yes. What are those called? <laughs> Port holes. Yes. Yeah, gunner holes, and I don't know. So he comes up the second time and he's like, that's not going to happen again. Yeah. Like, smushes all his tentacles against the sides. He's got some strategy um, for his hugs. Just when you see all the little suckers coming yes. through the holes, like it, it looks very good. And the sound is just oh yeah. haunting. The stuff of nightmares. Yeah, actually, he comes up second time and he just uh, 
He's like, I'm going to take care of that right away. Yeah. Just sort of steps He's like, through there. Like, I don't want any of that. <laughs> Not about that. Um, and I think it's great that they, they also, like, they just sort of defeat him and defeat him. And the understanding is, like... It's, we're not going to actually yeah, win. It's we're just temporary. continuously trying to... They're like, did we kill to, it? You're like, no, we just made it angry. To delay it. You know, yeah. their, their great achievement after so much effort and build-up is to make him stop for like five minutes. And be like, we can get in one boat. Yeah. Hopefully that works. And it does. And the Kraken has a super great theme song. Oh, uh, it's just the music. Great. So will... Hans Zimmer is back in the control chair, yes. guys. The prime, the prime dude for the soundtrack. And... Like you said in the previous episode, it is not all about just, you know, fun, little quick three-minute themes. No, no. How long is the Kraken song? <laughs> it's, it's like seven minutes yeah. long. Yeah. Hans um, Zimmer's not messing around, he's guys. He's showing off a little. Uh, I mean, it's a very good score. I think it's easily one of his best. And it's a common theme we've sort of gone over, despite the issues this movie has, and the third one. Mm-hmm. Can't, can't the fault the music. The presentation is very impressive. Yeah, I would it argue... It looks very good. It sounds wonderful and not only does it just like look good literally like the effects mm-hmm. but like the action scenes are very well staged you know they're very easy to follow and all that which means that even when you don't entirely if you're confused with part of the plot or something it is just a very easy spectacle movie to watch because there's so much that's going right behind the scenes in so many departments is mm-hmm. sort of how I would put it yeah you you could say that uh, this franchise has some uh, diminishing returns first one is probably arguably the best one Mm -hmm. um but i will i will say that the the inverse of that is the music gets better Mm -hmm. i believe with the first three installments from one through three that's doing some really cool interesting i mean he just built he just builds off of it and he's like i'm gonna have fun with some crack and stuff and then in the third one he's like let's go singapore guys like i'm just going nuts on it and it's great because it's just it's more atmospheric but it's also really rousing and interesting mm. and just i guess more risky compared to the first one because to be fair it's getting wilder story-wise yeah. the, the benefit of making this sort of spectacle set piece movie mm. despite the downsides is that they really worked hard to get those parts right yeah and i think almost a lot of blockbusters currently are made in like the opposite way sometimes mm-hmm. not not all of them it depends but if we look at the common touch point here of the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. the set pieces are not the focus. It's more like... The moments in between. It's like, here are the characters you like. They're doing character stuff. There's certainly fun action sequences, but they're not necessarily impressive usually because of how they are mechanically, like because of the way they were choreographed or anything like that. There, mm-hmm. there are exceptions, but that's generally not the approach. Yeah. And that kind of bleeds into making the, like, the music not as stand out and stuff like that because mm-hmm. these are scenes in the Pirates movies that are intended to almost be carried by by visuals and sound alone half the time mm-hmm. and that's just a very different from I don't know a structure that's built more around like the way people are interacting even during the sequences mm-hmm. like the quip that you get off right after you punch someone in the face you yeah know? there are certainly quippy things in Pirates but it's it's different I it's guess. not in the forefront yeah it's it's just it's more about how crazy can we make this. And I think we talked about how that's aided a little bit by the fact that they are in that middle ground land where um, they are doing a lot of practical effects and CGI too. Yes. So not only are they trying to show off, but they are trying to show off in that very particular practical effect way sometimes where they're actually doing things like, look at this big thing we made, 
Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, look at us blow it up. Yes. <laughs> look at us. It's just kind of a different, it's a different kind of showing off than, look how much money we put into the CGI. Yeah. Where... Even though there's a lot of money went into the CGI for this one. Well, I almost Davey. think of it as, you don't have to do as much to impress. Yes. Like, as CGI gets better and better, to actually make it impressive, you just have to make, like, more or make it the most beautiful thing mm-hmm. anyone's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you do something just practically that is sufficiently cool to look at and you know that it was practical, mm-hmm. you're you're impressed even if it's something, like, as small as, you know, oh, it looks like they actually have two, two ships there, like... You know, they blew pieces off of mm-hmm. and things like that. Yeah, I was thinking of that um, that net full of barrels at the end, where is one of the few parts you can notice more conspicuous CGI. Yes. When Jack shoots, yeah. um, and you see the bullet. With the musket ball, it's so great. Yeah. It's such a great like period. Are we still moment. in like the Matrix phase where everyone's a little bit like we still slow motion bullets? bullets. <laughs> we're still about that. Yeah. But we're gonna give it to you with a twist because it's an old timey bullet. Yeah. You're welcome. I was thinking watching that. I don't know if the speed of the barrels falling and the speed of the musket ball are accurate, but no clue. Don't care. Yeah, I, I love how like for you know for something that apparently is really dependent on physics and the action sequences could not tell you if that bullet trajectory is accurate. Yeah, well, it didn't really come back to that. But when I was saying that earlier, it was sort of about the fact that you have all these sequences on Cannibal Island involving people like falling over and rolling and whatever, mm-hmm. and then you have this whole sequence that's built around the the wheel later on in the movie. Which is just such a silly, uh, a silly, ridiculous thing. I know. I do. I think it is one of those movies that I do enjoy more now than when I did when it was released. Because, again, like we said, later installments are not as great. So it makes you appreciate what you have. I think it has a lot of flaws. But I also am able to overcome that a little bit better now. Being like, you know what? It was still really entertaining. And, like, you got to give them credit for the ambition that they had going into the next two installments after such a surprise hit with the first one it's kind of like oh fuck where do we go from here well like what's some fun little like sea mm-hmm. lore we can dig into they, they truly just do not make that many movies like with this kind of scope yes and they didn't really back then either yeah. i don't think um maybe it seemed like they were going to yeah. i think thinking about this set piece thing i realized that part of the the difference is also that um it was a little harder mm-hmm. to just easily fill the screen with things so they did have to think a bit more about like these three or four bits are going to be the big fun Crucial. parts and yeah. then we'll have a little more um break in between and of course you can see this like the more and more if you go back i'm sure if we watch some older piratey type movie it'll uh, you know see some stuff where it's like really there's just one sequence you know yes. like oh, big they sword fight sequence all the time or ship sequence yeah for like, and, ship like battles. the rest of it is comparatively quite slow compared to stuff you might be used to now, mm-hmm. I was just thinking of it, I don't know, con- contemporary movies with mm-hmm. pirates and you have stuff like Lord of the Rings and where people are kind of coming out of each one and thinking like, let's all talk about the big battle sequence Yeah. in the movie. Like, of course, some of that, you know, that's how the, the books are anyway with Lord of the Rings. But it's mm-hmm. like the two towers. Like, essentially, there certainly there are other action sequences. But in the end, it all builds up to the one part that everyone talks about. Thinking about the first pirate movie, you realize really the only full-on sequence is that ship-to-ship battle battle sequence. Yeah. And you almost look back on it and feel like that's more of the movie. And yeah. you realize a lot of the movie is not that. It's like careful build-up to that. 
because they really need to go all out with these big moments they, because they can't actually afford to just have like 50 little bits like that yes, in the movie. Yes, pirate movies are expensive, guys. Yeah. There's a reason why they don't get made anymore. It's tragic. Anyway, yeah, is there anything else that we would like to discuss? I think I covered, like, the characters and the plot and whatever, so I think we should probably just talk about some of our favorite things. And in a general piratey sense, mm. you'll have already said there's just not a lot of straightforward sword fighting in yeah, this. Yeah, there's not a lot of classic I sword fighting. I mean, when when you're looking at a, a fight sequence with swords on a big wheel that spins... <laughs> I, I hate to say it, the swords are not the, the main focus, man. Yeah, you don't expect everyone to have perfect um, form. And form, nor should yeah. you, because they're dealing with a lot of uh, exterior factors there that are just a little a little tricky. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, just even bouncing on top of the wheel, <laughs> like you guys win, whatever you do, it's fine. The uh, the ship stuff is, is good, though. I like that it isn't just another ships facing each other shooting thing. Yes. You know, like really the big ship thing revolves around them fighting the Kraken more than anything. Yes. That's that's a nice twist on it. We I, will encounter a much more absurd, over-the-top version of ship battling oh in yeah, the third movie. Oh yeah, don't worry guys. If you're like, there weren't enough ship battles in this one, it's like they heard you and raised you 20 for the third one, mm-hmm. so hang in there. We'll get there. I would say that I very much enjoy the sequence at the end where they are you know, on the boat going up to Diodama's hut because that is obviously a direct reference to the ride. I do love that they pulled um, some ideas, I think, and sequences that they had in mind for Tortuga in the first one that either got cut or just didn't get filmed and then they they redid them for this one. So you have, like, the lady actually chasing the guy around in a circle, which I think they've revamped a couple times for the ride. You know, they have, the I think, the guy in the well that they're, like, pulling in and out of. It is very delightful. I do like those little touchstones because it's fun to see that obviously they didn't use all of parts of the ride as a reference because it's most predominantly in the first one. But it is really fun to be like, oh yeah, there are some things that we could still like insert in here in the production design or in like some of the, you know, action beats in the in the background that you can be like, yeah, this this is still technically you know part of the ride and that's fun. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Um, I really love Norrington. <laughs> it was great. Uh, I, I do love Gibbs pairing up with uh, Rigetti and Pintel. <laughs> uh, I love their complete argument over how to pronounce Kraken or Kraken. Makes me very happy. It just yeah. depends. So I would say overall it is, you know, obviously one half of a, of a very long movie. And it is fun to see what differences are made between this one and the third one. And, you know, the, the, middle, the middle child's always the weird one in the trilogy. Uh, and I, I'd say this one definitely holds up to that, for mm-hmm. sure. But appreciate the ambition. So what's your uh, exact 100-point ranking? Star rating? Ranking? My four-star rating? Uh, four out of four stars. Four out of four stars? This is not a four out of four no, stars. No. I can't rate it on the scale, you know? Yeah. But I will give it a 10 out of 10 Krakens on the Kraken yeah, scale. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. First one didn't have it. First one scored zero. No. First one failed on that it front. It failed the Kraken scale completely. Yeah. And yeah, to yeah. be honest, almost every movie I've ever seen Fails on has that failed scale. the Kraken scale. Yeah, this is one of the rare ones. Yes. But, yeah, I'll give it a 10 out of 10 for Kraken. Uh, for for clarity and in ease of plot, maybe less so. No, maybe not so. a 10 out of 10. I don't know, man. It's really hard to rate these if you don't automatically love them no. as much as you love the first one. Because I don't want to be too mean. I think it is really just a fun movie. Yeah. 
And it's a movie with problems. Yeah. But also a movie that you can tell people had fun making. And there was a big attempt to... There were a lot of ideas. Yeah, there, there was an attempt to keep <laughs> Can't it Can't discredit exciting. them for that. Maybe uh, they could have focused in on just a few instead of picking all of them. But hey. It's fun to see such a wealth of ideas, not just in uh, what is actually happening, but mm. like in the design and, yes. and all that. Like, there's, there's just a lot here. It doesn't feel at all predictable in that way, I guess. Yeah. It, it's like they, they put quite a lot of effort into every aspect of the production. Give them credit. Which is fundamentally do. what it is. I mean, this is probably more like what people would have expected from a Pirates Caribbean movie in the first place. You know, yeah. something kind of dumber. Um, yeah. <laughs> that, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. is fun to watch. And it delivers on both those qualities. It really does. And I can forgive quite a lot for a score that good. So. Yeah, that's fair. 10 out of 10. Another problem with the non trilogy pirates movies have mm. alrighty I think that is it mm-hmm. well I guess we should be signing off this is Vicky. this is Camden and you guys just keep swashbuckling we will talk to you soon bye bye if you guys liked our show please let us know you can rate and review us on Apple Podcast and also feel free to contact us on our main website. That one is grumpyoctopusproductions.com. Then I'll link you up to all of our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and or like us on Facebook. And you can reach out to us at our email account. That is grumpyoctopusproductions at gmail.com. I think we're sensing a bit of a trend here. <laughs> um, also on the website, you guys can check out all of our episode and production notes and fun little extras as well. So, as always, thanks for listening, loyal listeners. Alrighty, signing off.